Well, before we dive in, um, we're going to hear from um, what has been described as wisdom herself in Proverbs. This is the way that wisdom is being described here in Proverbs, is wisdom herself. This is believed to be King Solomon speaking. I would agree with that. It's probably King Solomon um, describing wisdom herself. And this is what wisdom herself has to say. Whoever is inexperienced, enter here. To the one who lacks sense, she says, come eat my bread and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave inexperience behind and you will live. Pursue the way of understanding. The one who corrects a mocker will bring abuse on himself. The one who rebukes the wicked will get hurt. Don't rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke the wise and he will love you. Instruct the wise, and he will be wiser still. Teach the righteous, and he will learn more. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And that's Proverbs 9, 4 through 10. Good morning, everyone, again. Or not. <laughs> Could you guys open your Bibles to Matthew 7 with me? The beauty of picking your favorite subjects in Scripture to teach every Sunday is you can avoid the ones you don't want to. The beauty of teaching expositionally and expositorily, if you will, verse by verse as you go through the Bible is that you don't get to skip verses that are challenging. And if you're me, the Lord looks you square in the eye and says, don't blow by it. Spend an entire Sunday on it. So here we are in Matthew 7, verse 6 only this morning. And before we begin our study at this verse, I have to tell you guys, I I feel this weight around this text. I feel a weight around it. I feel a need for us to understand it. And it's hard for me because it's very easy to become someone who uh, stereotypically or even simplistically says, God has told us to do this, now go and do it. And it's difficult for me to look at life the way that we have to, the way that we all have to. We have to look at life through the eyes of discernment. We have to look at life not in a overarching, this is just the standard templated way that we respond to things. Rather, we have to look at life individually and apply God's unchanging truth and his unchanging character to every situation that we find ourselves in. And that's very challenging, and sometimes it steps on toes. Sometimes it steps on our toes. And so as we come to this text this morning, I want to ask that we pray together and that we pray that the Lord would open our hearts and that he would give me the ability to speak this text into our lives with grace, with grace and with faithfulness, and that we all would hear exactly what God wants for us to hear this morning. So let's pray really quickly as we begin. Lord, I approach this verse with some fear and trembling. Not wanting to be someone who falls under the category that you've already spoken about in this chapter, someone who is judgmental, someone who is condemning, but Jesus, to follow your pattern, 
Jesus, we want our lives to look like yours. And I just ask that as we approach this text this morning together as your church, that that's what we would be longing for the most, is that our lives would emulate yours, that we would be true image bearers of the God who made us. Because, Lord, these things are difficult. They're hard to grasp. They're difficult for us to not err towards one side or the other with. And so, Lord, I ask for something that we all will struggle with the entirety of our physical existence here on this earth. I ask for balance. Lord, give us balance. In the midst of a very difficult thing to talk about, allow us to walk this line, Lord, of understanding your leading as we minister your gospel truth to a world that desperately needs to hear it. Allow us to see this through the eyes, Jesus, of your grace. And enable us, Lord, to administer very wisely and very purposefully the precious treasure of your gospel to this world. We ask, Lord, for your spirit to fall upon us and give us understanding. And Jesus, we pray it in your precious name. Amen. Last week, in Matthew chapter 7, we studied through the first five verses of the text as Jesus commands us not to judge in the judgmental or condemning way, but to be discerning, to be discerning in how we deal with situations in our own lives first. He teaches us to humbly deal with our sin in our own lives as we're empowered by his spirit to do so in order that we then may help others with sin in their lives. And he uses that picture. He says, why in the world, I'm paraphrasing, but you can read it. It's right there in front of you. Why in the world would you try and help somebody with a speck or a sliver that's in their eye when you have a giant beam sticking out of your own? And so Jesus calls us to introspection yet again and all throughout the Sermon on the Mount. For many of you who have been here for the majority of this study series, we've been called by Jesus over and over again to deal with the internal issues of the heart before We apply and before we start doing things on the outside. In other words, deal with the issues of the heart and then the outflowing of the heart will be authentic. It will be sincere. And he's used many pictures to teach us this. It's interesting that Jesus takes five verses to reveal the need for our own humility. And I say interesting because I think that makes sense to us. I need a whole lot more verses in the Bible about my own humility than I do about how I'm working in the world because if I can get humility in my own heart right, if I can get my heart low and humble and filled with the Spirit, then the outpouring and the outflowing of my life will be what God desires. And that's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. It's about life and community. It's about the life that lives within us, and it's about the community around us. It's about how that pours out into each other and how our hearts must be in an authentic place. And so Jesus in chapter 7, very true to form as he's taught these, these sermons and these messages over and over again, pointing about how we need to deal with our own stuff, our own self-examination, and then we have an obligation to serve one another. After we've dealt with our own hearts, after we've let him cleanse us, now we need to help one another. It doesn't remove us from their lives. It sets us in a right place to have the proper impact for the gospel's sake in their lives. But then we come to verse 6. Then we come to verse 6 of Matthew 7, and the whole thing seems to spin out of control. Because what's interesting to me about this is that if we looked at it out of context, in other words, not reading all of the content around it, we might be kind of confused as to why in the world it's here. Because it feels kind of random. But let me ask you guys a question, and you can answer this out loud. Was Jesus ever random? No. 
Nothing random about Jesus. His life was intentional. His purpose, intentional. He was on mission the entire time he was here. It's essential to understand why this verse is in the Bible at this point. And I hope that we understand that as we leave later on this morning. This is essential to our effectiveness for ministering the gospel to the lost. It wasn't accidentally inserted into scripture. Jesus spoke this with conviction. Let's begin before we read the text and define something. Discernment is a must for a believer. We must have discernment in this life. Discernment has a practical implication to our everyday lives, and it most definitely has a spiritual implication on how God is going to use us in this world. Discernment essentially defined is this. It's the quality of being able to grasp and comprehend what's obscure. Now, there's a little bit better of an explanation that I loved. Biblically, it means this. It's the sound judgment which, which makes possible the distinguishing of good from evil and the recognition of God's right ways for his people. It's necessary for understanding spiritual realities. And on a practical level, level it's necessary for right government and the avoidance of life's everyday pitfalls. You use discernment all the time. Most of the time, you don't even realize you're doing it. You know, uh, guys, I'll speak to you just for a second. You know, or at least I hope you know, that little voice in your head that says, probably shouldn't say that, that's not going to end well. A little bit of discernment there. You're like, but it's the truth. Ah, yes, but if I say it in a different way, that's using discernment as to the person who's in front of you and how they're going to be able to receive what you're about to say. And the wives can say, amen. Ministry... (laughs) and marriages that lack discernment are going to be trouble-filled. I'll say this on the part of ministry. Ministry that lacks discernment cheapens the gospel. It cheapens the gospel. If I don't have discernment in how I'm administering the gospel, the truth, the precious treasure of God that he has entrusted to me, if I'm not wise about how I apply that, I cheapen it by just throwing it around and not being intentional about it because Jesus was always intentional. Jesus was always deliberate. And clearly, if we look at the life of Christ, which we'll look at a little bit this morning in a variety of ways, we're going to see that Jesus was discerning in his ministry. Jesus was very discerning in his ministry. And that should scare us a little bit. And I'm not being like, ah, it's Halloween season, but I'm not talking about that kind of scare. I mean, it should, it should cause us to approach situations in our life very intentionally, very prayerfully. Jesus was discerning in whom he called to himself. Jesus was discerning in the way that he taught. Not just to whom he taught as well, but he also was very discerning about who to focus his time upon. We need to consider that. We need to think about that. Because as so many of us have seen, the world of social media and the world of influencers would like to tell us that you can impact millions and be effective. Let me tell you this. You're not going to do it well. You're not going to do it well. In fact, if you're going to model your life like Christ, I'm off notes, look out. If you're going to model your life like Christ, you're going to have spheres of influence around you. Those are people that you are influencing. You're going to have a tight sphere that are very close to you. You're going to have an outer sphere that's going to be somewhat you're ministering to, but you don't see as often. But the people that are close to you, what are you doing with them? 
You're training them. You're teaching them. You're mentoring them. You're discipling them so that they can do what? Replicate the process. Go and do the same. Isn't that what Jesus did with his disciples? You realize that Jesus wasn't out there pouring into an entire nation. He was pouring into 12 and one was a devil. It's fascinating to think about things in this way when you read what Jesus says because it helps us with the contextualization. So let's dig into this a little bit more. Let's look at verse 6, our one verse for this morning. As Jesus continues, remembering what he said about do not judge and what he's talked about thus far, Jesus continues in verse 6 and says this, Don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs or they will trample them under their feet, turn and tear you to pieces. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, let's unpack the picture first. Let's talk about the picture that he's painting. What would this mean to his culture, to the culture of Jesus's day? The time and setting. Jesus is sitting on the shores of Galilee. He's teaching. There's many hilled areas, very beautiful in that region. He's teaching crowds that are coming to him from the northern regions of Israel here. A Jew would understand this. You would never give a holy food perhaps food previously offered in sacrifice or anything of the like, to an unclean street dog. You wouldn't take food like that and just toss it to a wild animal. And that is what he's describing. Nor would he ever dream of taking something like a pearl, a precious pearl that's valuable, and toss it to a pig. These make a lot of sense. You're like, well, yeah, I don't think I would do that either. If you would, you've got more money than I have to throw around. But not only were these things unclean, but... They might mistake the pearls for food. Now think about a rabid, wild, vicious animal. If you throw something to them that they think is food and they put it in their mouth and it's not, they might be a little angry with you. And Jesus says, don't do this so they might turn and tear you to pieces. Be smart about this. Now think about this. Considering the dogs, these are not fluffy Fifi that lives in your home. By the way, if you have a dog named Fluffy Fifi, we need to, we need to meet. But, but here's the thing. This is not the lovable scratch and behind the ear pet that you're thinking of. These are wild dogs. We've been in, in, in different parts of the country. I've done ministry in different parts of the country. I've done it in other countries. I've been in Africa and I've been down into Mexico a number of times building houses. You don't want to pet any old animal that's roaming around the streets in bad neighborhoods. You'll probably get something, even if you touch them. You just want to stay away from them. They're angry. They probably will bite you. This isn't my little dog that's like, please, I will serve you forever if you scratch my belly. Okay, this is not what we're talking about. These are wild hounds that would wander the streets looking for food in packs. They're dangerous. You wouldn't give anything holy to them. Considering the pigs, Palestinian pigs were an abomination to the Jew. We know that. They were an abomination to them. They, they didn't get anywhere near them. And quite possibly, they were derived from European wild boar, which were very violent and capable of tearing people up. Wild pigs are a problem. I'm hearing this from the southern parts of the country right now. Using animal examples, Jesus is creating a model of people who are savage. He's painting a picture of people who are savage in their lives, who act and live savagely. These two examples are used by Peter as well. It'll be on the screen. Second Peter chapter 2, verses 22. That's really hard. Second Peter 2, 2, 2. As he speaks of false teachers, 
Peter writes, it's happened to them according to the true proverb. A dog returns to his own vomit and a washed sow returns to wallowing in the mud. These were common phrases and terminology that would be used for people who were depraved. Depraved in their lifestyle. If we're getting a picture of the type of people Jesus is referring to here in Matthew 7, how can we best understand what he means by what is holy? What is holy? What are the pearls? What's he talking about? What is holy? The thought probably led the listeners to think of sacrificial meat, which they would never throw to a wild dog, but we can certainly understand that it symbolizes Jesus' teaching. It symbolizes his teaching. The way we know that is because he uses the term pearls. And pearls in the ancient world, first century teachers referred to pearls symbolically to speak of insightful and valuable teaching. These were the pearls of teaching. These were the things that you held on to, that you held in safety, that you didn't just throw around, that you took seriously. Jesus in two ways is describing his teaching and quite likely in using the pearl terminology, he's talking about the teaching of the disciples to follow. Now, what's fascinating about this is in Matthew 13, verses 45 through 46, Jesus tells a parable about the kingdom of God and explains it in this way. It's a very simple parable. And he says this in verses 45 through 46 of Matthew 13. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. Something so precious a truth, a teaching so valuable that he sold everything that he had, everything else paled in comparison to this truth. Boy, is that not the gospel, church? Is that not the gospel and the truth of the kingdom of Jesus? Isn't that more valuable than anything, any possession? Disciples of Jesus possess something of great wealth. It's not the stuff of this life. It's not the talents that you have. It's not the gifting that you think is so precious to others. What's the pearl? You have been filled by the Holy Spirit, Christian, and empowered by Him to preach the gospel that is transformative for the soul. And Jesus is telling us how to do that and telling us not only when, but when not to. This is the part that we struggle with, I think. Finding balance in this area. The gospel of Jesus, the good news of salvation with all history and revelation pointing toward it. This is our priceless treasure. It's not just treasure that holds value. It's so precious that all other desires in this life pale in comparison. The question has to be asked at this point as we think about what Jesus says, what is holy, the pearls. How much do we value the teachings of Jesus? Not just here, but in our everyday lives. Do people at your work know the teachings of Jesus because you share them with them? How much do we value in the application? How much do we value in our own lives, in the living out of our lives? Do the truths of what Jesus has said transformatively change me throughout the day? Or am I just going to church and doing whatever on the outside? You realize that's not the true precious treasure of God's word at work in our lives. That's me trying to feel good about myself because I showed up for something that I know I'm supposed to be at. This is why Jesus gets to the heart first. The heart and the attitude and the way that we do things matters. 
Because the way we're going to have to live out our lives is going to require discernment. It's going to require us to rely on Him for which direction to go. Do we consider the gospel to be a valuable pearl that we take great care and thought about how it's distributed, how it's put into play? Jesus gave us in this context. It's funny to me, funny, hmm, not funny, haha. It's funny that Jesus took five verses to deal with my humility, my judgmentalism, my condemnation of other people. Five verses to deal with that. And he only takes one to talk about how to apply it. Why is that? I think it's pretty simple. It takes a lot more time for me to realize my need for humility and for me to get to this place where I'm humbly walking with the Lord. When I'm there, he says, so now rely on me for how to do this, how to go about ministering the gospel. So as he calls us to discernment, we have to consider some things. D.A. Carson said that the essence of discernment is knowing that simple rules cannot be expected to crank out an infallible answer. I love that because I don't know about you guys, but I want one simple solution that I can apply to all of my life that I can memorize and learn, and then nothing will be difficult ever again, right? That's how we think. If I know how to fix one thing, I should know how to fix everything because all things should be the same. And then I could fix everything easily because I've done it a thousand times. We think about that way in our practical, think about things in that way in our practical lives, but we also think about with Jesus. Why didn't he make it so simple? When your friend is sick or not doing well, why didn't he make it so simple to where you could play one specific prayer, specific words with a 4-4 rhythm, and as soon as you did it, they'd be healed? Sorry about the 4-4 rhythm. But you know what I'm saying? We want a template for how God works, but he's not a tame lion. He's not a God that you can control. In fact, he is a God who controls all living things and he plans and wants for our lives to be dependent upon his leadership. He controls and is sovereign over all things and he has placed us in a position where we are constantly coming to him going, I don't know what to do. God help me. Lead me, guide me. Don't you realize that when it comes to the preaching of the gospel, it's the exact same thing. And how many of us are like, I have this little card here that I'm going to read to you. And when I get to the bottom, you shall be saved. You know, and we, we'd like to think that we can go about preaching the gospel to people or go about our lives with a rule book. I, you know, people have said this to me before and I get it. I've struggled with it too. You know, the Bible's God's rule book. No, it's not. Will you find things that govern your life? Yes. Will you find things that tell you the difference between right and wrong? Yes. But if you look at life through the lens of my Bible's God's rule book, you're going to try and slap that on every problem and you're going to be gravely disappointed because God wants an intimate personal relationship with you. You understand that that's what he's driving at. Your reliance on him. And so he puts things in here to challenge us that we can't skip over. And man, I wanted to. I wanted to skip over this so bad because this is the truth, church. At times, it is not okay for us to share the gospel with certain people. We shouldn't. You're like, oh, I'm never coming back here again. It's what he said. It's what Jesus said. If you want to argue, you got to argue with the text. Now, these situations, let me preface this. We're going to get into this a bit more because Jesus did this. Let me preface it with this. These situations 
are rare. Oftentimes when I want to quit on people the most is when God's telling me, don't you dare. Don't you dare. Keep going. You guys, we want a template on how to heal, share, live, and even rest from Scripture. Am I okay to do this now? What does the Bible say? Stop it. Hold on a second. Jesus got so frustrated with legalists. When the Pharisees would come to him and be like, you're not doing this correctly. And Jesus is like, do you know why God made the Sabbath? He's like, I'm God. Let me tell you why. You know, and he gets into it. He probably didn't as snarky, didn't do it as snarky as I just did. But you guys, while the word of God is living and active, and we know that without the Holy Spirit, his wisdom and discernment are working in us, please understand this church. We can still get things wrong. We can still get things wrong on our own. We can still do life wrong. That should scare you a bit and me that at times we actually can get it wrong, even being spirit-empowered Christians. You're like, how does that happen? We walk in our flesh. We're tempted by our flesh. How am I supposed to know the difference? Well, an intimate relationship with Jesus, reading his word, prayer, all these things come together. They all come together. But you guys, we have to recognize that we still have flesh. When God has created us for reliance, he created you and I to rely on him. There's no point in this physical life that he wants us to be like, well, thanks, Lord, for all the teaching. I guess I'm on my own now, right? I'm going to go rule my celestial planet. Just kidding. That doesn't work that way. You guys, it doesn't work that way. We are reliant upon God always. We must rely upon him. He created us for that. You and I were designed to need him. So before this upsets us, before we get all worked up, looking at the situations going, he put parameters on this? Yeah. Here's the thing. When we struggle with that, the greatest example of using discernment when teaching and living is who? You can say it. It's a church. It's Jesus. If I want to know what this looks like in this life, I need to look at Jesus. I need to know how he did it. So that's what we're going to do. <gasps> Hooray. I want you guys to look at the following examples. We're going to put them all on the screen. How Jesus used discernment during his incarnation. Let me say this to begin this, this little section that we're going to go through together. And don't worry, it won't take forever. Let me just say this. When people, I'll use one example. When the rich young ruler came to Jesus and tried to prove that he was all that in a bag of chips. Right? And Jesus said, Go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Come and follow me. What happened? What happened? What did the rich young ruler do? There you go. Good job, you guys. Nice. He walked away sad. What did Jesus do? Continued teaching. Look at the text. Did Jesus chase him down? Hmm. Now, before you're like... That's right. No one else is my responsibility. I just got to preach the truth. And don't you dare. Ah, ah, ah. That's not the point. The point is this. There comes a point in all of our lives where we're going to share the gospel truth. The Lord's going to give us opportunity to, and we need to do it in a discerning and understanding way led by the spirit, not our own devices. All the training in the world is not going to prepare you for every situation that you will face. Can I get an amen, YWAMers? You guys, 
all the training in the world is not going to prepare you. But you know what? That doesn't mean we don't train. It doesn't mean we don't prepare. It means that when we get there, we are as prepared as we can be so that when the Spirit moves, we have been trained in our hearts and in humility to follow His leading. Train your ears. Train your hearts. Know His Word. Here's some situations from Jesus' life. Matthew 15, verses 12 through 14. Jesus is going to dismiss the opinions of a group of Pharisees instead of going and arguing with them. Are you ready? The disciples came to him and told him, Do you, don't you, can't you imagine the disciples? Oh, Jesus, you did a big no-no. They came up to him. They said, verse 12, do you know that the Pharisees took offense when they heard what you said? Jesus replied, every plant that my heavenly father didn't plant will be uprooted. That's awesome. Jesus just cuts right to the chase. Leave them alone. They're blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. (laughs) Uh, Did Jesus go and argue with the Pharisees? At that point, did he go try and prove himself right to them? Nope. Yes. (laughs) Lord, just give me one more second. Luke 13, verses 31 through 33. Jesus wrote off Herod. Check this out. At that time, verse 31 says, some Pharisees came and told him, go get out of here. Herod wants to kill you. I have had some rough weeks recently. I have not had this happen yet. Mike, you probably shouldn't come into the office. So-and-so wants to kill you, right? Herod wants to kill you. Jesus said to them, go tell that fox. By the way, that's not the way we use it now. Look, I'm driving out demons and performing healings today and tomorrow, and on the third day I'll complete my work. Yet it is necessary that I travel today, tomorrow, and the next day because it is not possible for a prophet to perish outside of Jerusalem. Okay, I'm not going to get into that last statement. It's awesomely theological. But did you see how he handled Herod? Don't care. You go tell that fox. By the way, that's a way of calling him, you know, a bad, not, he's not like using bad language, but he's just saying like, don't care. You're not worth listening to. By the way, during Jesus's trial, did he say a word to Herod? No. Tells you how much he uh, appreciated Herod's opinions. Now think about this really quickly. Let me poke at that a second. It's not in the notes. Heads up. Let me poke at that just a little bit. Wouldn't you say that God in human flesh would pursue leading Herod to salvation in that moment? Huh. Jesus lived what he taught. Jesus used discernment. Would Herod have listened? I don't think he would have. That's why Jesus kept his mouth closed. Church, we must be discerning. This isn't up to you. You don't get to make this decision, but we must be discerning because Jesus was. Here's another example. Jesus pronounced judgment over whole cities. I wouldn't recommend trying this anytime soon. Matthew, you're like, get ready, Coeur d'Alene. Matthew 11, verses 20 through 24. Then he proceeded to denounce the towns where most of his miracles were done. Hold up. They denou- he denounces the towns where most of his miracles were done. 
Jesus had done many things in these places because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes long ago. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have been, it would have remained until today. Does Jesus play around? He's not joking. But if I, he says, but I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. The parts of the Bible we like to avoid. The parts of the Bible we like to go by and not address. Not letting us do it. We have to face these things. Jesus took it seriously, and so we must as well. But there's great balance in the ministry of the Lord, isn't there? There's great balance in the ministry of Christ, and so we have to look at this balance and not just pull a bunch of sections out of Scripture. Here's some things that Jesus did in the same breath, in the same lifespan. Mark 6, 31 through 34, Jesus is patient with a large group. He said to them, come away by yourselves to his disciples to a remote place. Rest for a while, for many people were coming and going. They did not even have time to eat. So they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place. But many saw them leaving and recognized them, and they ran on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things. Is Jesus inconsistent? No. He was always consistent. Discern the situation. John chapter 20, verse 24. You remember this. Remember when Thomas doubted? A week later, after he doubted, his disciples were indoors again. Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Thomas responded to him, my Lord and my God. Thomas rejected the resurrected Christ, said it didn't actually happen. Jesus pursued Thomas and restored him. Not inconsistent, discerning. Luke 19, verse 21, Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem. He didn't pronounce sweeping judgment over it. He says, as it says, as he approached and saw the city, he wept over it. He spoke about what would come and what would happen, but he also spoke about the day that he would return and restore. It is not for us to decide which side of Jesus' reactions that will follow. You don't get to pick, and I don't get to pick the side of Jesus that we, we resonate with and then be like that. We must be both. We are called to be both. We're called to be the encompassing of his entire nature. And some of us are inclined to deal with people in one extreme or the other, and we must recognize that leaning and intentionality is essential. We need to lean into God and be intentional about what he's called us to do. Lean into him and be intentional and be spirit-led through prayer and ask God daily that he would bring us into this place of balance. Because church... Let's face it, I think we know how this works. There's a lot of our personalities that will want to lead one, lean one way or the other. Either pulling away from people and not sharing the gospel, well, I just didn't feel led to, when that's not necessarily the case. Let's put a little bit more of a parameter on it. You realize that Jesus described those who were not worth throwing holy things to or throwing pearls to 
in the terms of vicious animals. Okay, that's pretty extreme. We have to be careful about how we handle these truths. And these are holy things and we shouldn't throw them around without care. That's why I didn't want to blow over this verse as a part of another study series. I want to take time and intentionally talk about it because it would be far easier to not to. Probably make us feel better about ourselves too. A little bit more confident. I know I feel less confident. We shouldn't throw these things around without care. The holy things of God have been entrusted to us and we need to teach them and apply them thoughtfully, carefully, responsibly, and strategically. People have had the opportunity to hear the truth, opportunity to hear the gospel and don't respond and stubbornly turn their backs on Jesus. There's a point where we don't go on with them. We don't continue on with them because they'll trample the treasure of the gospel under their foot. They'll lessen the value of the gospel in the way they treat it. In truth, we could be missing opportunities with those who need to hear the gospel by chasing someone around who wants nothing to do with it. Now, I'm going to say it again because I think it's necessary. We need to be careful about this. Because sometimes the Lord is doing something in that heart that is unseen and we feel like we need to continue. And if that is what the Lord is doing in that person's heart and in yours, I'm going to urge you to obey. Obey what God is doing. But for some of us, we're not acting like Christ by chasing certain people around. Because he didn't. And that's a hard truth. But it's real in the gospel. It's real as we read his word. We shouldn't be pursuing people who self-identify themselves as dogs or pigs. They hate the things of God, want nothing to do with it, and are mockers. That's why we read the passage from Proverbs 9 to begin. We need to have wisdom in this way. However, having said that, I believe John Stott offers profound wisdom on this subject regarding not pursuing those who stubbornly reject the gospel. And I want you guys to please hear this because it really summated my thoughts as well. Stott said, at the same time, as you think about people not pursuing them who are rejecting and mocking and hateful towards God, at the same time, to give people up is a very serious step to take. I can think of only one or two occasions in my experience when I have felt it was right. The teaching of Jesus is for exceptional situations only. This teaching and this very verse, Matthew 7, 6. Our normal Christian duty is to be patient and persevere with others as God has patiently persevered with us. If I'm going to err on a side, it's going to be grace. If I'm going to err on a side, it's going to be mercy. And I would encourage you to do the same. In the same breath, we need to be very real about what Jesus has said. And let me just be really honest with you guys. I don't have this figured out. I don't have this figured out, and that's the point. It's situational. I have to rely on the Lord for it, just like you do. Mike, you're supposed to have all the answers. Sorry, <laughs> I don't. I don't have them. Because sometimes I felt like I needed to walk away, and I didn't know how. And then that little voice of condemnation came into my head and started telling me that it was my fault. Don't listen to that either. That's the enemy trying to condemn you. Listen to the conviction of God. Do not listen to the condemnation of the enemy. Boy, we really need to stay close to Jesus, don't we? Boy, do we ever need him. 
We cannot make light of passages of Scripture like this. For us to be like Christ and honoring Him, church, we have to have discernment about our calling. This verse is a powerful reminder to you and I that we don't have every person or every situation or every scenario figured out. You don't have it nailed. You don't have it pegged, and neither do I. We need to rely on him, and we need to be in community to help us stay in balance. You realize that the people around you are part of keeping you in that balance. And let me say this, and I shouldn't assume that everyone would would recognize this. You realize you can't walk away from your brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? Okay, because we're a body. If if an arm walks away from the body, that's weird. Right? If your foot calls it quits and just walks off on its own, we got a problem. That's not normal, and it looks obscene for a reason. Okay? We stick it out together. You can't use this as an excuse against each other. Clearly, we're talking about administering the gospel to the lost. And so don't use this against each other. And let me encourage you guys with this. The Lord gave us his word to minister, to convict. It's good for doctrine, reproof. Correction, instruction, and righteousness, as Paul told Timothy, it should never be weaponized. The Word of God is not meant to be weaponized against each other. It's meant to be applied with discernment, with care, and with a truckload of prayer. Is that clear? Does that make sense? I want to encourage you guys Press into the Lord in these things. Get close to him. This should strike some fear in us. Could I get this wrong? And cause me to lean into the Lord and rely on his spirit. I want to take the opportunity for a moment and just pray this prayer. If you bow your heads and close your eyes, I'll have the worship team come on up. A friend of mine, Scotty Smith, wrote this, and I just wanted to read this prayer over us because I felt like it really drew us into this mindfulness of ourselves and and why we do what we do in our reliance on the Lord. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes, and I want to read this over us, and then we'll take a minute to pray on our own. Father, as this day begins, I forsake the illusion of my competency and cast myself on you, the God who raises the dead, beginning with Jesus. I'm not facing deadly perils, but I am facing people I love that I cannot fix injustices in the world that I cannot write, old lingering wounds that I cannot heal, stubborn addicts that I cannot rescue, an aging process that I cannot reverse, cold marriages that I cannot thaw, and my own heart that I cannot change. Grant me grace. Lord Jesus, grant us grace to accept our limits and faith to trust you more. Give us a greater willingness to let friends enter our struggles and carry our burdens. We know you to be the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And we want to know you way, way, way much more. Lord, we want to know you in every way. And we surrender our thought process and our ability, Jesus, to what you would have us do. Give us great wisdom and insight for passages like this, Lord, where we need balance. We are desperate for your help. 
And even though these situations may be extreme, and even though they may be something that we haven't faced yet or, or, or don't feel like we will for a long time, Jesus, you gave us this example for a reason. You taught us this truth, and you lived a life that exemplified. So, Lord, would you, by your power, lead us. Give us a heart that is warm for each other. Give us amazing aim and skill at how we direct the message of the gospel to this world so that the lost will be found. Jesus, you came and died for every single person. The sad truth of it, Lord, is many reject you. Many hate you for it. Hate us in return. It's difficult. But thank you that we don't have a Savior who can associate with our struggle. Jesus, you know. You know exactly what we're going through. So heal our hearts. Let's take a moment. Let's just keep our heads bowed, our eyes closed. Take a moment and listen for the Lord. Spend just a quiet moment in prayer and then we'll worship.